Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Real World Talks with Lourdes, Natalie, and Kathy. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. We have a special guest with us today by the name of Anna Etienne, who is our program director for the Startup FIU team. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So for the listeners who don't know, Startup FIU partners with local food entrepreneurs, supports researchers, innovators, and entrepreneurs to conceive, launch, and scale solutions. So, um, Anna, can you go ahead and introduce yourself and share with us kind of your background and what you do? Okay. Well, good morning, everyone, again. Um, my name is Anna. Well, I just graduated, so it's Dr. Etienne. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, I, I have been with FIU working with small businesses for the past three years. Prior to joining the startup team, I worked um, as a manager for the Goldman Sachs Accelerator, which was awesome. Um, We had the chance to launch the first accelerator in Miami, working with over 300 plus companies locally, which led to, you know, my aspirations to, to get a doctorate researching best practices that would benefit small businesses from um, low to middle income communities. And that, um, that opened the door for me here at FIU, allowing me to create an incubator that would benefit the community that was in most need. So FIU opened up its doors to the community. They created a platform for local small food and beverage businesses to utilize the Chaplain Kitchen and to become sustainable. So legally, when you're when you're a food business, you know, the, the hurdles are a little bit different. Each state has their own laws as it relates to what products you can make from home. They limit the amount of products that you can make from home. This is uh, known to us in Florida as the cottage law. And, you know, once you reach that capacity, you are legally required to transition to a commercial kitchen. And so FIU opening up its doors to local small businesses to utilize its kitchen um, has helped many of our small businesses become sustainable and scalable. And what that basically means is, you know, you went from just testing out your ideas and selling your plates from home to uh, formalizing your recipe, working with FIU faculty and staff, and getting your products into onto shelves or or you know wholesaling it, working with restaurants, et cetera. And so we've been able to help a few of our businesses transition into Whole Foods, transition into Lowe's, the Marriott. Um, we're also helping small businesses transition into their own commercial spaces. And so, you know, it's been, it's only been three years, but, you know, access to resources have been life-changing for a lot of, a lot of black and brown businesses here in Miami-Dade County. So pretty much that's what I do. And I eat, (laughs) I eat all of their food. So it's been great. Uh, I was going to literally say that Anna knows that we, I like to go down there sometimes and I miss it with a couple of my favorite favorite companies that she has there. Okay. My rum cake. I miss them. I just want them to know. (laughs) And Anna fusses at me, but I always come down there. Um, But I think that is so great what she really does to really help these, I would say these individuals who have dreams like of just starting a business, which we know for a lot of us, it's it's not an easy thing to start. It's not an easy task. Now, speaking a little bit about kind of this mentorship and advice and how you support these entrepreneurs, Um, I know that a lot of students think that, you know, when I speak with them, how I push and motivate them, but I will say that Ms. Dr. Anna Etienne, she does the same for a lot of us um, on, I would say at the Chaplain School, a lot of her colleagues, including myself. So how my mama bear to you guys, Anna comes down on me, which I appreciate (laughs) um, and pushing and motivating. And she'll push, she'll push. I'll be like, really, really, we're going to start this conversation this early. Um, But speaking on that motivating and kind of guiding, what advice would you give to female college students who are striving to be either in a leadership role or entering in a male-dominating profession? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, I will say that for me personally, representation changed my life. Um, 
I am Haitian. You know, my mother's an immigrant. I'm a first gen. And growing up in that specific community, there were no examples of Black women that I could look up to that that was in that type of space. And so because it wasn't in the space, it wasn't a thought, right? And I went through, you know, that full K-12 process really not um, prioritizing that concept. And so senior year, I ended up getting an internship um, at a brokerage firm. And it was the first time I met a Black woman executive. And so just that encounter inspired me to go to college and to make some type of attempt. And so I'd say it's it's really important to be intentional about that. I was lucky where I had this, you know, turning point accident. But after that first turning point um, moment, I, I made it my business to find more women in leadership to have conversations with in regards to what it took for them to get to where they are. Um, you know, like my own little mini reporter. <laughs> and so um, my the best advice I could give to any college student, um, specifically women of color, is to build your village. Um, it's one thing to find one person that you admire. It's another thing to take the time to assess what you really want and then go find those individuals doing it right? You know, you dream in pencil and then you you go and you find someone who's really good at, you know, the living room section of your dream. You go and find someone who's really good at building the bathroom section of your dream. And you just, you talk, you, you build relationships, you prioritize um, being intentional about finding people that are further than you. And this, this may be some cold, LinkedIn email saying, hi, you know, my name is X. I'm an FIU student. I'm majoring in Y. And, you know, I, I looked you up and it, you know, your, your experience or your, your accolades, et cetera, it's, it's really inspiring. I was wondering if you would have 30 minutes to Zoom with me. And it sounds like, it sounds daunting, but I promise you, I, I've received more yeses than no's every, for every attempt to, um, reach out to someone I felt was successful or inspiring. They were more than willing to talk. They like mentors or people who aspire to be mentors. They are always ready to share their stories. Um, and you want that because they'll remember you when, because after they share their stories, they're going to they're gonna want to know about you. They're going to want to know about your interests, things that you would like to do. And so as they move further, they'll remember that they had this encounter with you. And if opportunities arise, you'll probably be the first person for them that would come to mind. So that would be my advice to any college student, um, build a village, build a village of mentors. It's going to take several people to help you figure out what um, the concept or the goal is and and keep that as a habit, not as a one-time thing. All right. So Anna, you spoke a little bit on how to find a mentor Mm -hmm. and you spoke about building your village. And I know you're all about women empowerment and you're even a mentor yourself. So why did you become a mentor? And can you also give advice for students on how do you know this person is the right mentor for you? Okay. Good question. Um, so I became a mentor because I, I pretty much, sorry guys, this is COVID and there. <laughs> <laughs> Someone is, uh, you know, uh, I'll, give me a second. Let me see if I can mitigate the sound. Two seconds. <laughs> okay. That's as good as it gets. I'm working from home. So sorry guys. Um, so for me, I, I was lucky enough to figure out the formula um, right before college. You know, find the right people, get to know them, get to talk to them. Um, and because of that, I benefit. Like, my, I, I benefited. Now I have this Rolodex from the years of just uh, building relationships and being intentional about managing those relationships well. 
Um, and so because of that, I wanted to, to, to hand it down, to pass it down. And in the process of passing it down, um, I decided to mentor young women who were in the same situation that I was in, where the concept of being an executive or going to college was just not their thing, right? Because it's, it's just not in your ecosystem. Everyone, you know, in my neighborhood, all of the women worked in hotels, they worked in factories, they were immigrant moms, they were single moms, and so the, the concept didn't exist. So um, I, I decided to take on mentoring girls who would traditionally never meet me in my circle. And so that is going to our, you know, high schools in South Florida that are considered redlined areas. And these are areas where, you know, a majority of the black students are, are populated. Um, these are college students who um, have aspirations, but they have two, three, four, five jobs just to make ends meet. And so, um, you know, I, I make it my business to teach them how to strategically build relationships. And in that, you know, most of, a lot of them have amazing jobs now. You know, now I call on them for favors. But, you know, the goal for, for, for me personally is to help the next generation of women understand that it's not about idolization. You're not in the business of idolizing a person. This is, you know, step one is what do I want? You know, I, my first concept of what I wanted when I was in high school looks very different today because the vision evolved. And the vision evolved be based off of conversations and um, research, conversations that I've had with mentors leading me down the path to learn more about a specific industry. Um, I knew my personal why. My personal why was to give back to my community. And I wanted to use my skills to, to be a blessing to that. Um, and that took time. I didn't have the answer senior year. I didn't have the answer in college. Um, but I understood what skills, what I wanted to um, perfect. I knew that I, you know, I, I didn't have an industry specifically at the moment, but I knew I wanted to be good at certain things. And so my vision transformed the more I spoke to industry experts. And so this is how you should see mentors. Mentors are individuals who have mastered a thing, right? And so you definitely don't want to put them on a pedestal and say, okay, I'm going to come to you for all the things. That's not how it should work. You want to just the same way that your primary care physician would send you to a heart doctor, would send you, you know, to a brain doctor, and they send you to the different parts. That's how you should see the vision. You can have a mentor to have, you know, the generic conversation, but the goal is to go get those industry experts to talk to. So when you circle back to mapping out your concept for yourself, you, you have more context to what it would take to accomplish that. And so it's, it's never... And for me, it's never ending. Um, it's, it's worth the time. And the better you get at it, the better a mentor you can be, let's say, to someone inside of your family. You know, a lot of times we think of mentor and we think of going out into communities, but there might be a sibling or a cousin that is, you know, a little bit further behind you, might be in middle school, might be starting high school. That might be the person you want to take the time to invest in after you've had the chance to fill your own cup. And, and when I say fill your own cup, it is after you've had the chance to figure out what you want, you know, speak to a few people, get yourself to a healthy place. You can turn around and be a blessing to, um, you know, someone in your family so you can keep, you know, that um, growth happening within your own community. Thanks for sharing that information, Anna. And um, being a mentor yourself and being a strong, independent woman in the industry in a leadership role, um, why do you think there is a lack of Black and Latina women in CEO and leadership roles? Okay. <laughs> loaded question. <laughs> okay, loaded question. So before I answer that question, I will say... Um, 
you know, for, for every woman, for every person of color listening, you know, this should not be a a deterrent, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. Today in the United States, we have, I believe it's 13.4% of the population is black, but only 3.2% hold leadership roles in corporations here in the United States. And a lot of times people will say, oh, well, this is a pipeline problem. That's a lot. Because statistically, most women of color are the most educated. We, you know, statistically, we're we're ranked as having the most degrees. So we're qualified for the work. The actual issue comes down to unconscious or conscious biases, right? So it's, you know, it's been documented that most executives train predecessors who are their same race and gender. And and I get it. You know, it's like this natural thing where the person's already in your club, they're already around you. And so why not just train him to be my predecessor? Um, As a community, I think it's going to be important for us to hold these corporations accountable for making sure that their their staff is has diversity. You know, a lot of times we'll we'll see them place, you know, promotional ads or maybe they'll be willing to put, you know, women of color in some of their, you know, products or make them, you know, um like kind of like um, you know, Nike where where Serena Williams and and all these other uh black celebrities are the face, but when you look at the numbers were not represented in exec in within their executive um, platform. And so at, as as a people, as Americans, we, we need to hold these corporations accountable for making sure that they are intentional about making sure that their staff is diverse and that there are uh, leaders of color sitting in these seats um, because you are qualified, you are doing the work but you're probably not aware or you've not been inspired to even reach for this specific type of opportunity. And so um, I definitely encourage the next gen to reach for these opportunities and also break down what it takes to become your, your own version of Naki, your own version of Adidas, your own version of the Marriott. You know, what, what would it take for you if you decide to become an entrepreneur to build this for yourself and for your community. So kind of going back in with that and thank you, Anna, for digging deep on like really and truly why I think for a lot of us Latinas and black women, why we're not seeing so many more representation in these higher roles. Now fast forwarding to where we are right now at 2020, which we will think right now we should have, you know, probably seen already a black woman president. Sorry, Michelle Obama, anytime now. I, you know, I love her. Um, <laughs> I've watched Becoming too many times. Um, but like, do you honestly think that today, um, and especially with what's going on right now, that we are making progress or change and seeing more of us representation in these higher roles? Well, you know, I will say I have never been more inspired. Um, It is heartbreaking because um, during this period, it it made me realize how normalized certain inherent biases were in these environments. Now, in every job that I've had, I was always the only Black person or woman or both, right? Right. And it was just such a normal thing for me where my tolerance level as it relates to someone else's racism or bias um, was high. And to see Gen Z um, pretty much take to the streets and it's, and it's everyone, which is why I'm, you know, this is such a pivotal moment in our history, seeing the next generation identify, hey, this, this systematic um, thing that's been happening for the past hundreds of years, this is wrong. And we want to call it out and we want you to implement change. Um, and, you know, them making their voices heard on multiple platforms, their petitions, you know, their um, protesting, you know, you know, the, 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 um, 
the awareness, like a lot of these corporations being called out for not having enough diversity, like this has all been this generation, um, you know, questioning what we in, in pre, in our history considered to be the norm, you know, like, yeah, we have a lot of, um, bias in our country. There's, there's elements of racism and it's the normal. And, and I just, I love the fact that we're seeing the next generation challenge, you know, this, this way of living, which I appreciate. Um, it, I'm seeing change happen at, you know, our, you know, universities, I'm seeing change happen, um, you know, from the way that the media portrays us, because that was also a thing. Um, and I'm hoping that this is not the end of that. I think the next step for us is to be, get ourselves in position to make change. You know, now that we've made our voices heard, what else can we do to position ourselves to be the change within our own neighborhoods locally? And so um, this time has been, it's, you know, I, didn't, I did not see myself being home all of 2020. <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> but um, I, I anticipate that the makeup of these corporations and even the, the, the extent of entrepreneurship is going to change um, within our country within the next decade. I think we're going to see more entrepreneurs being the competition to the companies that refuse to change. And we're going to see these corporations that listened um, experience, you know, more success because how many times have we seen ads or, or apparel that was just um, culturally disconnected because no one in the room said, hey, this is racist or hey, this mm -hmm. is insulting to this culture, right? Because there was no diversity in the room. I think we're going to see change based on the fact that as a people, we're voicing the fact that they have to make the change if they want to stay. Beautifully well said. Um, and you touched on a couple of times about this entrepreneurship. And I know that, you know, for us, as much as it probably, I would say, Lourdes and I, since we've been working there, we've seen the transition of a lot of students saying, I want to be, you know, going to be a GM. I want to be mm -hmm. a human resources director. But now there's this like flood coming in these last couple of years who said, I want to own my own business, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I should say, I don't only say I, we really push these students because we know it's tough out there to start your own business. Um, but definitely seeing this movement now, I agree more that this is this group that is really going to push for this change in so many aspects, but definitely making it a little bit more competitive out there for some of these brands that have been out there. So mm -hmm. talking about entrepreneurship, what would be your like top three tips that you would give to someone who wants to start their own business? Okay. Um, okay. First tip, um, entrepreneurship is a team effort. I, a lot of times when people think of entrepreneurship, they think of, all right, I'm going to go be the Beyonce of my brand. <laughs> <laughs> Not the Beyonce. Oh, no. You know, but, but, you know, a lot of corporations, a lot of companies that you see today, you know, it, it wasn't built as a, a solo project. You are going to need different individuals um, to partner with you to make your concept go. So mm -hmm. if you have an idea and you, you have um, a few friends and I actually gave this example um, to a few chaplain students, I think two years ago, I was like, Hey, you know, if there's three of three or four of you interested in starting, let's say your own hotel, you know, what, what type of capital are you going to need? Let's work on, you know, work on a forecast. So what, what would it take, you know, breaking, taking a look at the people you consider to be the best and breaking down what are the things that are in place that allows them to um, execute what they do for a living and how much would that cost? Um, and so once, once you, you have your concept, um, building your own mini village around the concept is going to be the gasoline that keeps it going. You know, if, if you are, you know, let's say baking your products at home and, you know, maybe your parents or family members help, but it's still just you, Right. But if you're sharing the vision with people who have similar visions and you choose to do it as a collective, then you're not bearing the full weight of having to make the dream come true. Um, and so 
yes, you know, entrepreneurship, whether you like it or not, it's a team effort. Once you once you've cultivated your team, uh, the next step is understanding the process for raising capital. Right now, that first step of let's say you have a concept, you created a product, you like the product, you want to go through what's called in the industry your proof of concept stage. Um, so your proof of concept stage means I have this idea, but I need to make sure that people would be willing to buy it. So let me go to a farmer's market or let me start a website and pay for a few campaigns. Let's see the feedback that I get from people. And you want to do that as a speedboat. You want to spend the least amount of money um, testing out whether or not this is a good idea. Cause you may think it's a great idea, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it may not work out that way. Right. So you're going to be looking into see, okay, who else has had this idea? How do they do it? Um, would people be willing to pay for it? And so, um, you know, to be able to put the check mark to say that this is a good idea, this, this concept has been proven is the dollars. So if you are able to say you created your, your product, you made t-shirts, um, you designed them and, and now they're selling really well, your, your ability to capture the information, which is, you know, which will be your financials, your ability to capture that information to say, hey, look, I sold this many products in the last two quarters. And I estimate if I were able to expand it to these this demographic, I'd be able to sell it to this many. And so with that, that's the information that you take to um, help you raise the funds to expand the business. Um, and so, yeah, so team, then you want to prove that the concept works. And then you want to take that information and you want to go raise capital for your concept. Um, you know, I hear a lot of entrepreneurs tell me, I don't want to raise, I don't want to raise capital. I don't want a loan. I don't want a line of credit. I want to do it on my own. And I mean, that's, that's possible. You know, if you have generational wealth in your family and there's somebody in the family that can give you lots of money to just go, then that's great. (laughs) If that's not the case, then, um, you know, that starting point is going to require, you know, raising capital. And in the, in the, in business, you're never not raising capital. You're, you're proving that the product sells, but you're also thinking through how much money you're going to need to take it to the next level, which is why um, I say not being a solo artist is important because to be the baker, the, the person at the front desk, the, the finance expert, the attorney is too much. Um, but cultivating a team where one person is watching the numbers, one person is doing the marketing, you know, another person is helping you make the product, um, that that's more doable and you get to hold each other accountable. Mm -hmm. And with that information, you, you pitch to, um, potential investors, you're, you're able to have a conversation with, uh, banks and CDFIs about a line of credit, um, about a loan. And, you know, when it does come time to pitching to investors, investors are traditionally not interested in investing in a business where there's only one person. They want to know that you have a team. They want to assess the team. If there's no team, there's no investor. An investor knows better. They're not going to be interested in investing in a company that does not have like that a team of experts doing, you know, some of the things that I just described. So, you know, if, if you do have a vision, let's see if there are some other people that share components of that, that are talented in different things. And then you guys get together and then you, you know, you be the next Marriott, you know, you be yeah. the next Hilton. Thank you for sharing that advice and those tips for our listeners. I'm even taking some notes over here. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> So we, we know about you a little bit in like your work life. So we want to know a little bit about you in like your personal life. So I wanted to know what is your go-to food, like your guilty pleasure of what you like to eat? Um, well, I'm Haitian, so Haitian food. Uh, Haitian food <laughs> slash coma food because, you know, island food will put you out. 
<laughs> not <laughs> if it's not like that heavy island rice chicken grill you know all that good stuff then it's it's just it's not worth it to me <laughs> so island food is is definitely uh my feel good place for sure and anna so um speaking of food and kind of your personal preferences, can you name the best place you've ever traveled to? And it can be any place in the world and why. And you can also include there what your favorite thing to eat there is as well. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So I like, I love to go to the islands and like when it comes to traveling, I, I don't like the the concept of traveling as with tourists, I would really prefer to have somebody who lives there to like take me to the, take me to the spots. Um, you know, I have a sister in Nassau and traveling to the islands to, to eat kunk and to eat all of the, all of their food from, from the areas that they know are the best <laughs> is my favorite part. Um, so island food for sure. Any island, um, you know, there are places that I'd love to go to actually, uh, found out I have a, a relative in Paris, but it was right oh. before COVID. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, oh yes. And she's Haitian. She's going to take me to all of the French places that are amazing. And so it just ruined my plan. <laughs> oh. Um, but no, definitely. Um, yeah, I love traveling to the islands. I love traveling to see my chocolate people feed me (laughs) that I like are similar to mine or foods I've never had before. I love trying new things. Um, yeah, it's been, yeah, that, that would be the hope. Hopefully when, when we, uh, break out of this situation and we get to go back to life, that's going to be something I can return to. So the first thing when quarantine is over and maybe when it's next year, you're going to Paris. Oh, yes. Well, see, okay, so I, I was supposed <laughs> to have a graduation ceremony, but that turned into an online thing. So my, my doctorate at Northeastern, so we were supposed to, you know, walk in Boston and then go to Europe right after as a graduation thing, but not 2020. So hopefully uh, I get a ceremony next year and then do some uh, traveling in Paris and Spain. Um, trying out their foods, finding some some good stuff to do there. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. Well, if you need a travel buddy, hopefully, you know, you let me know. <laughs> I've been collecting Eiffel Towers for everybody who goes there. It's so beautiful. Yeah. So I need to get my own. Um, now, before we wrap up on this, or I should say doctor, because she knows I'm going to mess with her now. Dr. Annas, okay. <laughs> um uh, personal kind of things that she loves to enjoy. One last one is what music or what song pumps you up? Or I like to say, what is your turn up go-to song? Oh man, that's too much. But, um, all right. I will, will say Beyonce's homecoming. I just let I that new shoes. Yes. Just let that entire concert situation play. It's like the best, type of uh energy music behind you getting stuff done <laughs> yes 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 mm-hmm. that's, that's why i love her too <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much anna for taking the time and this now um leads us into our next segment of our podcast which is our real world talks hospitality tea okay uh, <laughs> where we bring up current events or news um, in the hospitality industry. And we have the opportunity to share our opinions and comment on the subject matter. So I know Kat has some great topics to go over today. No pressure, no pressure. So <laughs> yes, I've been waiting for uh, my, our guest here just to discuss like one that really touches home. And I thought this was great. So in the wake of international protests over the deaths of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and Rashad Brooks, and days before Juneteenth, for some of our listeners who don't know, Juneteenth is on June 19th, but I'm not going to go through the whole history of that for y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, PepsiCo Pep announced that they will be removing the image of Aunt Jemima from its packaging and changing the name and the brand, acknowledging its racist origins. In addition to them, also Mrs. Butterworth's brand, 
um, which is the syrup uh, packaging, also said they intend to evoke the image on their uh, in, on their labels. And on top of that, Crema Wheat also announced that they will be immediately removing their brand's packaging. So, ladies, what do you think? Is it kind of about time, a little too late, or what are we feeling about this? Um, I would say this goes back to the comment that I made about us as a culture and a country normalizing things that were wrong to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, from corporations benefiting from images that portrayed a specific time in history that was not, um, I would consider, a good time for people of color and um, normalizing that. You know, we, we definitely have some challenges in our education systems when it, when it comes to history and, you know, the, what the textbooks said in the South versus what it said in the North. Um, and so based on that, we we do have to eventually, you know, address what's been swept under the rug, what's been normalized. Um, I think it is a good step in corporations who have financially benefited from highlighting um, images of black and brown people in a way that is, you know, detrimental you know, it's just constant reminders made normal. I actually saw this post um, on Instagram. It was an artist who took pictures of a flipped world where, um, you know, it was Asian women sitting, getting their feet done by white women. Oh. A white girl standing at the... Um, at the toy store and all the dolls were black. It was, it was like they did this thing where they just flipped it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it did make me realize, man, we've normalized the fact that not only do we not have diversity, but the negative things that happened in our history, we ignore or treat as if, okay, it's okay. We're, we're just going to look past it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is important for us to clean the closet, you know, Address, hey, these things happened. They were wrong. What can we learn from these things that happened that were wrong um, so we can make sure we don't repeat the same mistakes? We want to make sure that we learn from what's happened in the past so we can do better in the future. And there is nothing wrong with that. No one was born in the 1800s, right? We're mm-hmm. here in 2020. But what we can do is make sure that we don't repeat the same mistakes that they made. We want to learn from the past and we want to make sure that we, everyone's feelings and culture and religion is respected. You know, we, we can all live here. We don't have to agree on everything, but we can respect each other and, and live together um, in harmony and, and, and say, hey, your life matters, right? You get to, you know, practice your religion. You get to be Black. <laughs> you, you get to live a normal life. And so do I. And I I think the conversation of equality has to happen if we want to do better as a country. I agree with you, Anna. And, you know, I found it very interesting. Um, I saw on the news that the relatives of um, Aunt Jemima, they're actually concerned that their family history is going to be kind of erased. Yes. And um, they don't want her um, legacy lost um, because they feel like um, if it's kind of swept under the rug and washed away, it's kind of like, you know, she was never a person. And um, they were also mentioning that, you know, she, um, you know, took the job to make an honest living to support herself, Mm -hmm. touring around at fairs, cooking Mm -hmm. demonstrations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, when she came back home, they were very proud of her and they are still very proud of her. I, I I think that, you know, this is, you know, yes, it is amazing that she was able to make an honest living. Mm-hmm. But did she have access to how much the company made on her? Right. Uh-huh. right. Yep. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So, so I, you know, and I can understand the family, you know, holding that family member dear and being proud of them. But um, there's also the family that created the business that has 
built equity. So now uh-huh. five generations in have lived off of the equity of what was built off of the image of their mother. Right. right? And so you can't combat how someone, you know, chooses to rationalize that because that's family, you know, that's yeah. your thing. So I can respect that. Um, there's this, there's this uh, charter school, which I love. Like, I love this charter school. I'm not going to name it, but it's literally um, a really great charter school. They, they go into uh, low-income communities and they, you know, they work with, uh, you know, and they built this school system where like 90% of their students go to four-year colleges. It's amazing. But when I read the story of how they came up with the concept, it was a black teacher, you know? So it was two, two white uh, teachers doing a nonprofit project that, where they struggled in their classroom. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they watched this other black woman and the way she structured the way she taught. And they took her method and made a school out of it. And at the end of the book, uh, when, you know, it was questioned, you know, okay, so where is this woman that you got this great idea that now you're scaled into multiple states? It was like, oh, well, we, we gave her some money, you know? And, that's, and I'm like, you know, that's, that's the part that, that concerns me the most. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we want to give credit, I, I, in my personal opinion, you know, if, if you're going to be a part of um, learning from each other or taking information from, from one culture to another, you know, you shouldn't be able to take that and monetize it for yourself. That is appropriating someone mm-hmm. else's um, talent, gift, etc. cetera. Um, if Aunt Jemima had equity in the company, I would agree. Okay. But... You know, if I were to get access to, and how much money has this family made since? And where is Aunt Jemima's family financially? What is the difference, right? Um, For the past, now I'm not sure how much history you guys have on, like on American history, but you know, between the 1800s into like 1903, there were like nine, 10, black and brown towns, like the Indian community and the black community, the communities of color, they, they chose to live together and they would make their own towns and they would circle their dollar. But, you know, massacres, Jim Crow law, and then the, the Achilles heel of the, the depression, um, you know, ended that, right? So you, you would start to circle your dollar and then racism would come in and there, there'd be massacres and all these things would happen. Um, and, you know, this is them not building equity, losing equity, building equity, losing equity. Um, other other people of, who were not of color didn't have those challenges. And so now you're dealing with two generations where one generation has had decades of building equity while another generation has just tried to survive based on the institution that they've been placed in. So uh, for me, this isn't a conversation about memory. This is a conversation about generational wealth. Everyone, in my personal opinion, deserves to have the opportunity to live a life that is safe, you know, where their families are, can, can live a healthy life, can be protected, should not have to worry about livelihood. And you want to be able to pass these things down to your children. But for those that were not able to do that, j- based on you know, racism and bias, this is a thing. I, I don't think that this is where we're headed. I think as a country, we're headed in a, in a better place. I think having these conversations, having these, you know, debates, they're important. And it's, in my personal opinion, I think this is what's going to lead us into becoming a better country that is safe for everyone. Well, well, well said. Um, I think that, you know, I literally picked this topic because I feel that it was a little bit of a combination of both. And I remember I saw the same comment, Lord, just when the family brought up the whole thing about how they felt. But the first thing that popped in my head was I'm sitting here thinking how much money I thought the same thing was that they actually received fairly for the years that I would say I grew up seeing Mrs. Butterworth and Aunt Jemima and picking up that box. (laughs) Even though after my TikTok lady, I was like, maybe I got to go 
I use biscuits now, you know? Um, but it's truth. And I think it's, I think it's definitely looking beyond that and really seeing about, you know, fairness and equality for everyone. Now we have one more topic and it's going to end on a little lighter note. And um, Anna, she knows I'm a nut about, you know, hygiene and germaphobe. Um, but, you know, I saw this on the news and I've been telling the ladies that, you know, I have to hold myself back when I see somebody wearing, you know, their mask like a choker or like right underneath their nose. Um, and I also kind of think about the other half. So I think about myself as a customer, but then I think about these people coming in and how they're not only thinking about us as customers, but even just those frontline employees at restaurants and, um, you know, at the stores and so forth. So um, this popped up on the news um, yesterday and I'm like, I gotta bring this out and share. It was a Starbucks barista in San Diego. Um, and basically, you know, he was at the register taking his orders there at Starbucks and, you know, they can be complicated or simple. And basically he noticed that one of the customers had, didn't have a face mask on. He politely asked her, you know, does she have one? And she basically said, nope, I don't need one. Um, and as he was about to literally show her a paper outlining the company's mask policy, um, basically she went ahead, started kind of cursing up a storm, starting an uproar, left the store, came back, took his name, picture, and said they should be calling the corporate offices. Well, of course, he posted this on his Facebook page. But what I thought was the most beautiful part of this, besides the fact that he was doing what I always say, why is it not the company? Why is it not the employee that sometimes is not saying something? You know, the rest of us are trying to keep each other safe. Um, more than $87,000 was actually kind of started for him for a GoFund, um, which he's so grateful about because now he can start his teaching dance studio. Um, so <laughs> awesome. Uh, I was like, okay, I got to share this because I have told, and I've told the girls, like, I have to hold myself in because I want to be that person to be like, okay, why are we not wearing a mask? But I feel like I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen. I can't be on the news. I need my job. Um, <laughs> How about if that person, told, like, cough on you or sneeze on you? Or oh, no. Oh, no. I, would, I wouldn't be on this. I'll be having to start on my own pod for sure. I, it wouldn't be right, ladies. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll be employed afterwards. But I think this point that we've said is, you know, especially in hospitality, it's tough, you know, and I feel like especially in the food industry and Anna, yeah. you know, as well that the food industry is trying to fight and bounce them back, even if people can't eat inside the restaurants. But if that's that takeout to go. So definitely, I feel like, you know, we've been saying that it shouldn't be only on the customers, but it has to be the employees to pushing, you know, customers to understand the importance of masks. So, ladies, what do you think about this one before we wrap up today? So I think it was very touching that everyone raised money for him. I really love mm -hmm. that at the end, that it ended on like a positive note. But for me, when I enter like a store, any place, I always read the sign that is on the door to see if the mask, I know I come in with my mask already on. It's not on my chin. It's not on my, on, on my forehead or something like that. It's literally on my nose and on my mouth, mouth when I first come in. So I don't understand why she came in it's policy so I get angry it's policy yep. if you don't want to wear a mask you don't have to just don't come in yeah yep. I agree yeah mm -hmm. Ooh, well I mean we we are seeing a lot of that <laughs> yes we are yes we are We're seeing yes, this yes. fight all over social media um and you know unfortunately we have such a divide in in leadership um and that is leading to what we're seeing, you know, go viral, right? Um, yeah. I, my biggest concern is the, you know, our, our baristas, the people who are working at, um, you know, the grocery stores, you know, if they weren't doing this for us, we would be out of gas during COVID. They, they, uh -huh. they're, they're sacrificing themselves every day they choose to go to work during this pandemic. Um, and this virus is no respecter of persons, clearly, mm -hmm. that, you know, anyone can get COVID. Um, and I actually heard this morning that the vaccine that they created for COVID, they're charging um, thousands for it. And so just imagine all of, all of the people who've lost their jobs within the past six months, not having insurance. And now the vaccine is costing three to $4,000. You know, you didn't ask for the virus. You didn't ask to be laid off. 
And now, you know, are you even going to be able to afford the vaccine if anything happens to you? And so it's just just a trifecta. Um, you know, I'm happy that we have <laughs> cameras to make these moments viral because, you know, think of all the people who didn't have cameras whenever they were being, you know, profiled uh-huh. in situations like this. Um, you know, clearly there are some people who are getting their narrative or their information someplace else where they feel like they, they're justified in their actions. But um, I'm seeing more voices, um, you know, on behalf of, of right than wrong. So from where I stand, I'm seeing more people that are standing on the side of, hey, we need to protect each other and ourselves by wearing masks. Um, yeah, we still we still have some individuals who, um, you know, they're getting their narrative someplace else and they feel justified in their behavior. And and here's the result. Our country, even our state is, you know, we're 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 high red. You know, our cases are extreme and it showcases in the behavior that we, you know, for the past few months when we started to relax what as a people we've chosen to do. And so whether we like it or not, if you choose not to wear the mask, you choose not to protect yourself, there are repercussions to your health, right? And so, you know, I'm, I'm praying that we get the, the job force back on, on track in our country, but there is nothing we can do if you lose your life. There is nothing to be done. Once a life is lost, it's lost. And so... I'm hoping that we can all <laughs> learn the lesson um, from the spikes that we're seeing in the United States now and, and change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, this concludes our Real World Talks Hospitality Tea. Thank you so much for joining us for this segment, Anna. And Thank you for having me. Of course. And this um, actually will conclude our podcast Um, for today. And again, thank you so much, Anna, for being a guest. You've really shared some insightful information with us and for our listeners. And um, we would love to have you back on a future episode because there's so much more that we could talk about and there's not enough time. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) My pleasure. All right, guys. Well, we will um, see you all next week. And we all hope that you have an amazing rest of your week. And thank you again, Anna. Have a great day, y'all. Bye. 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 Stay safe. Thank you.